You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life and home, as well as give you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created a safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you, bringing you clarity and solution with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I have a dear friend and colleague, Kim West, who is here to talk about sleep. And I know this is a hot topic for a lot of you parents. So let's get right into it with Kim. She has some amazing information about um, gentle sleep techniques and so forth. So Kim, thank you so much for being here today and taking the time to share all your wisdom with us. Thank you. I always love to to chat with you. Yes, I know we've we've had many conversations in the past and they could always go on forever. So so it's just wonderful for you to to make time to be here. And as I always like to start um my episodes is to ask my guest, what is your definition of the art of parenting? Mm. Well, um, I like to take a middle road approach <laughs> um, in, in parenting. And I, with always the theme of being kind and gentle to yourself as a parent, knowing that none of us are perfect, despite what we might see on Instagram <laughs> um, in, in other parents. And to, and by gentle, I guess I mean that we don't have to like pick a camp, that we can be kind and accepting to all parents, whatever their road is. So I see that in, um, like I'm, for instance, as a sleep expert, I'm not against safe co-sleeping. Uh, nor do I think you have to do it. Um, I'm not pro cry it out, um, but I know some people who've done it and it works. So I, that's what I mean by, I think the art of parenting is like finding your middle ground and finding what fits and sits right with you and your heart and soul. And, and that is a good match for your child's temperament and your own philosophies and values. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. Yes. So true to, to, to find, I mean, to me, and I, it's interesting because I've, I've been saying a lot like recently how parenting is really our opportunity to kind of, you know, evaluate and evolve. So, you know, I think we can, we can pick and choose the, 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 the different aspects, you know, that are out there. And like you say, not, you know, not, put ourselves in just one camp and, and one label. It's like we get to we get to create what we want to create. So Yeah. And and you know, I always say like our our children are our teachers. They can be if we're open. 
you know, and, and that each child is different too. I mean, I just look at my own two children, same gender, same parents, very different temperaments. And what, how I parented my first, I could not have done the same with my second. So it really was an opportunity. It was hard, um, but it was an opportunity for me to say, okay, how am I going to do this differently given this little spirit versus the other one? Right, right. So true. So true. So, so before we get uh, too involved in our conversation, I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. Yeah. So um, I am a clinical social worker for 30 years this year. Can't believe that. And probably 28 years ago when I had my first child, um, I, you know, learned that sleep could be a problem for a baby. I really didn't know that. I sort of thought, well, don't they just eat, sleep and poop? And what's the problem? <laughs> um, and then at that time, uh, we only had in the United States and from what I later learned worldwide was uh, Dr. Ferber's book, which other parts of the world call controlled crying in behavioral science called graduated extinction. Um, I call it time checks because apparently Dr. Ferber doesn't like that his name is used as a verb or didn't used to like it. Um, he's since passed. And so I thought, so just for everyone, in case you, you're not familiar with what he says, um, you basically put the baby into the crib or the child into their bed awake and you leave and you can go in and check on them in timed increments and until they're asleep with the idea that leaving them to figure it out on their own allows the, them the opportunity to teach themselves uh, how to self-soothe. And I thought, mm, I don't know about that with little babes. And, um, and I wasn't even 100% sure about older children um, in beds, for sure. Um, and so I thought, there's got to be something else that supports a secure attachment while still having, you know, uh, supporting our child in learning a new skill when it's developmentally appropriate. And so I experimented uh, with my older daughter. I always joke, thank goodness she, she turned out lovely. <laughs> and, um, and uh, But, you know, our first children are kind of always are guinea pigs in a sense, you know. Um, and uh, I developed what's now called the Sleep Lady Shuffle that's outlined in my first book, The Sleep Ladies Goodnight Sleep Tight. And basically you put your child into the crib awake, you stay with them, offering them or bed, uh, physical and verbal reassurance, and you, uh, you do less and less and slowly move out as they integrate the skill themselves. So you're there to provide that support while they learn the new skill and and then you slowly remove yourself. And so that made me very popular uh, with families because I was the first option out there between suffer, do nothing and cry it out. Um, and so I did that for, for, you know, 
20, whatever, you know, 28 years, I've helped personally over 20,000 families. And then I wrote a book and a workbook. And then 12 years ago, I started training gentle sleep coaches all over the world um, in English and Spanish to help families with this gentle approach. And now I have my next book coming out for newborns. Yes, yes. And I've, and I've uh, gotten a copy or a preview of the copy of the, the newborn uh, sleep guide, which I think is, is fabulous to really help families, you know, learn about sleep at, at a very early stage. But how does this differ from your your original book in the sense that I guess my question is, you know, we 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 talk about quote unquote sleep training. And I know, you know, I've heard from from you and, and your colleagues that we don't really want to to, you know, quote unquote train until about five, six months. So why why write something for newborns? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So it went, so my book is my first book that's been out 16 years now is on its third edition. So it's given me an incredible opportunity to go back and revisit it and learn um, from my readers. And what I found was happening, I did have like a newborn chapter, not how to sleep train. Um, but you know, I had what was, you know, kind of called like my eight rules of infant, I think it was called infant slumber, you know, 15 years ago. And what I found, well, first research changed, right? We learned more. And second is that parents were taking the shuffle, like the six months and older and applying it to their newborns and then wondering why it wasn't working. Um, and, um, because I would, you know, lots of times, for instance, the child was develop developmentally not ready, um, to quote unquote self-soothe as they say, which we should definitely talk about. And so in the second, let's see, no, the third edition, I will say the second edition, I revised it, hoping that would help. Still, I was hearing the same kinds of things because these desperate pleas, like I can't make it till six months. Um, and so then I uh, took out the newborn section in the third edition and then, um, you know, had a publisher pick it up as a newborn book. And so what I'm doing in the newborn book, which is really, you know, zero to five months old. And I know that, you know, some people say newborns are zero to four months. And then, you know, I always say, but four to five month olds, you have to assess what they're ready for um, in terms of, of sleep. And so what I've done in this book is outlined an approach, a gentle approach that I call baby-led sleep shaping and coaching, um, where first we shape the baby's sleep that sends, sets up like a good foundation. And then when they're developmentally appropriate, and according to their unique temperament, then you coach them, um, you know, to learn to put themselves to sleep as they're as they're ready, which oftentimes is not until they can do uh, certain, for instance, tap, uh, physical milestones, like bring both their hands to midline and to their mouth. 
as an example, um, and role, because, you know, I always try to remind parents and hopefully I will have communicated this well in the book that when our babies are first, you know, born really in that first couple of months, they are, you know, in that primal brain state. Uh, they don't know what in the world this new world is, right? Imagine they don't know what a dog bark is or why this person is talking so loudly and so close to their face that might not be their parent, you know? Um, and they really have no, they have no way not, not only to communicate that, but they also have no way to shut it out. Um, they don't even in the beginning know to turn their head away yet. They learn quickly, um, but still, so they're really being bombarded and are very easily uh, stimulated. And so they also don't know how to like, let's see how can, what is comforting to me? They don't know yet, like, oh, I might like sucking on my fist or my wrist or, you know, my bib or whatever, um, whatever it is. Um, and so I really wanted parents to feel like, okay, this makes sense. Um, no, you know, leaving them in that when they're, you know, for, I mean, I've heard six weeks, four weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, um, pediatricians telling their parents of the babies these ages, literally let them cry it out. Um, that's the only way for them to learn to self-soothe. And I just feel like I want to get on a pedestal for those little babes and say, what well, they're not learning anything. No, it doesn't point. sound very soothing either. <laughs> right. and, and they don't know yeah. how to, exactly. to self-soothe. Exactly. And they really need us to be able to have and you know, to teach them. And the way we best learn is when we're already in a calm state ourselves, right? So the same is for our babies. So I so we've sort of set up in the book how to lay the, the framework, the bottom foundation of sleep shaping, that then we build on it to, and I'm happy to go over some, what are some of those foundations? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, Kim, like to, to, to maybe with, for our listeners, like what, what do you mean by this sleep shaping? What, what does that entail really? Yeah, I would love to talk about it. So it's sort of a list of 10 what I call elements, and some of them are added on at, at different ages. So, so one of them is creating a sleep-friendly environment, whether it's a floor bed, a crib, um, or a bassinet, you know, where you have soothing colors, you might have white noise, room darkening shades, you have, you know, a sleep area that's dedicated to sleep and um, doesn't have a lot of you know screen time as the screens going on and then you create a daily routine so we, you know that all of our children and frankly us adults too we're comforted by routines you know um and so uh you know we the first place i tell parents to start is a bedtime you know just picking a, a time and now granted bedtime changes in the first five months it might be at your bedtime initially you know at 10 o'clock or and then slowly move back um so but we just want to try to create a routine of you know 
this is what we do before we go to bed. You know, I, maybe we have a wash and a, maybe a massage and change our diaper and we, you know, do this in dim lighting and a little song or whatever you like your soothing routine to be. And then into our, our sleeping area and same before the nap so that our babies start to learn like, ah, this is what happens before we go to sleep. The other one, the third one that's related to that primal brain I was telling you about that doesn't, um, isn't able to process easily hours of stimulation is the 3 p.m. rule, which is to prevent overstimulation. So, you know, come 3 p.m., I really encourage new parents to not have visitors, stay home during that time. This is when your baby is pretty overloaded from the day, right? Um, that they may have been up from, from seven on. I know that when my girls were little, they used to jokingly call it like the bewitching hour or, you know, just that high cry time. Usually it's from stimulation. So really trying to even dim the lights in the room, which I know is hard if you have another child. Sometimes even putting the baby in a safe sleep area in the room next door um, with white noise or music and pull down the shades just so that they're um, not overstimulated. And then another one is not to let your baby sleep through daytime feeding for, you know, that that's within, you know, not over three hours. So our baby's circadian rhythm, which is our internal clock regulator is not developed until three or four months of age, right? So this is how our babies very easily can have day night confusion, sleeping long times for the, during the day and then awake frequently at night. So um, if we try to even, and I know everybody says never wake a sleeping baby. This is the one I, I was going to say like, that's, that's <laughs> what I remember, you know, being told like, you know, never wake up a sleeping babe, that, that that's like so critical to, to protect that. But during the day, so they don't miss a feeding. Cause you really want to try to get on kind of a feeding sleep routine. I'm not saying a strict schedule, um, and have the longer stretches of sleep, which the first quote unquote long stretch will probably only be four hours. Um, and you want that one to be at night. Um, you, and usually that will happen in this towards the end of this, the second month, um, that wonderful six to eight week period where all of a sudden you might see a one long stretch. That and the other little thing about the, that same waking the baby rule is that allow your, your baby at least an hour and an up to an hour and a half awake before bedtime so that you can then start to set that, oh, here's our bedtime and you haven't been awake too long, um, but you also um, haven't been asleep too long before also. So then they're hungry and ready to go to go to bed. So those are perfect things. So so that 90 minute you're saying is after a feeding, like to make sure that they're they're not falling asleep feeding, for example, and you're you're setting them down. Is that what it means? Or no, like let's say you're finding that your newborn again it depends on their ages, bedtime is like 8 p.m. Then you would want their 
nap to they you'd want them to be awake from their last nap by 6:30. I see. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Just that one little window just helps to start to regulate things. Um same for regulating their wake up. So you may notice and you might not see this until the second or third month like oh, my baby tends to wake up at 7 seven thirty and seems to not want to go back to sleep right away again you're not going to usually see that in the first two months so once you see that oftentimes in the third month you have to say aha now this is when i'm going to make our day start they call it regulating the wake up so that then you start to get again into a rhythm of oh we wake up we have the feeding, you know, playing, go forth in our dinner and our day, and then they can't be awake for very long. And then we go to our nap. So then we now start to say, oh, at least I have some predictability in the start and the end of our quote unquote day, <laughs> even though I know, you know, which again helps to create a routine um, and helps to, uh, formulate, if you will, that circadian rhythm. So another way I like to say this is because our baby's circadian rhythm is not developed until three or four months, we have to be their external clock, right? And provide that for them. So, you know, lights on and awake, go out for walks during the day, during their small wakeful windows and uh, dark and quiet and um, soothing uh, during the night. And, and, and I guess I'm, you know, I'm, I like to think that I'm hearing my listeners voices in my ears, um, that you're saying like, you know, all of this doesn't really happen before two, two months or so. So those two months prior, so really that, that, you know, very newborn, the, you know, from day one to, to, to the first eight weeks, there are we, just following kind of their rhythm or are we trying to establish something right away? So that's a great question. Um, uh, it's a little bit of both, right? Because all babies are not the same. Um, and because we haven't even gotten into the fact that there's temperament involved. And even though they say, according to social sciences, that we don't see temperament until four months old, everyone who has what I call one of these alert babies knows what that looks like in the first month. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, right. I know I did um, with my with my second one. Um, so temperament is definitely um, a factor. And I I really want parents to do what I call SOAR which is um, where you're really stopping, you're observing, you're assessing, and then you're responding. So that this learning of our baby's cues happens over time because we're learning to read them and they're learning how to communicate to us what their needs are. Um, so it's that beautiful relationship of communication between and so i like to call it shaping because we're not forcing anything we're observing we're learning what is appropriate for our baby developmentally At, we're looking for some of those things um, we're learning about different you know feeding cues sleepy cues 
I'm in pain cues, and then responding accordingly. So these are kind of steps to take along the way. Like even if, even if just the first thing is to create a pre-sleep routine, not worrying about what time that is, like a bedtime routine, that's helpful in the first month. I think in the second month, well, first of all, let me go back. The first month, we're figuring out how to make sure we feed our baby. That's really, you know, our primary focus. And then in the in the second month, we're helping to avoid uh, day-night confusion. Right. And then in month... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I was going to say, and in that first month for me, what's also critical is to take care of ourselves, right? Especially if if we're the birthing parent, um, we need to also be recuperating and you know sleeping as as much as possible and resting as much as possible and, and so forth. So it's it's, and I say that just to kind of take away the stress to you know, of anybody listening that has a, a child that is that is uh, that young that, you know, you also have to manage you and your rest and, and ask for help when need be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I loved that you said that essential point. So in each chapter, um, I have a section on taking care of you and uh and your partner if you if you have one because you know and i uh, there's a wonderful book um the postnatal depletion cure by oscar Saralak, who i reference in this book and he talks about how in many other cultures there's much more support um for um moms after they give birth and lots of times there's home uh for moms and people come in and clean and cook and uh, prepare special foods that um, support support the the mom. And we just don't have that. In, and especially in the United States, we have parents going back after a few weeks. Um, and there's a lot of pressure to just keep going. And that's how we, Dr. Zerlich says, how we get depleted. Um, so I think it's essential because, you know, I, I, I think that family wellness is, um, just as important. He even says, you know, how, why is it that when the, when the parent is pregnant, um, there's the focus on the parent. And then as soon as the baby is birthed, it's all on the baby. Um, and not, not to mention, you know, postpartum mood, and anxiety disorders, you know, 20% of women globally. Yes. And dads too. And dads, yeah. Yeah. And this to me, I mean, when you're 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 talking about this, you know, the shaping and all of that, I think there is also a great opportunity for the parenting partner to step in and maybe be part of that routine as well, right? To have that that connection with their uh newborn. Like it's not all on the birthing parent. Oh my goodness. Yes. I mean, I know that there are single parents who, who I hope they get support through family and doulas and friends. Um, but when, when there is a, a, a pair, I absolutely, um, I think it's so critical. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Now were, were you done with the, the sleep shaping? Cause I, I know I kind of interrupted you. We, we did talk about the, 
the environment, the routines. Yeah, there's there's some other ones, but I don't want to also overwhelm uh, your listeners because I do, in the book, I do have it added, you know, you add on as the baby, as the baby develops, but you, you brought up such an important part of, you know, of the, of the book that I hadn't mentioned yet, which was the, the care and keeping of the parents (laughs) um, who are so essential. Uh, the other part that I put in the book that that I think is unique is what I call fast, and that's you know you have when you look at a child's sleep, it's not just oh you know put them to bed awake and let them learn to self soothe. We really have to figure out where they are developmentally, and then we have to look at the four factors of fast feeding, making sure that they're eating uh, well and growing attachment. And as we know, the first um, um, Erickson milestone is trust um, and building trust in that in that attachment. And then S is soothing, where we're learning what soothes our baby, because it's not a one size fits all. And then how does temperament factor in? Because a lot of people will be like, well, my, you know, my friend or this woman I met at the playground, her baby's sleeping through the night at X week. And I've got this super alert uh, live wire child who isn't even close to that. And, and just allowing us to be kinder and gentler to ourselves and getting to know who we are and that we can be our own baby's expert. And we know that your baby's temperament may not be ready um, like that other, you know, baby's temperament was, um, you don't know what the full story is. Yeah. And, and I like this, you know, idea of temperament and you mentioned at the beginning that it's not only the, the baby's temperament, but it's also your temperament, like the, the adult's temperament. So how does that, like, how do we, how do we stay kind of vigilant and aware as to, you know, our own temperament and how to, I guess, work with, with our child's, right? Because where we probably have certain expectations and, you know, uh, you know, I, and I'll be perfectly honest, like for me, sleep, I, I love to sleep. <laughs> I'm a very good sound sleeper and, 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 you know, thank goodness my, my children were too, but had I been, you know, gifted a super alert baby, I don't know how I would have handled that because, you know, I need my sleep. <laughs> yeah. So how do you, how do you navigate that of, of just, you know, like you said earlier, you know, our children are here to teach us things if, if we're open for the lesson, but sometimes, you know, we're, we're, kind of gifted a really tough one to to learn maybe yeah sometimes we are sometimes we are or the baby had like tough start tough delivery for parent and baby or medical complications or reflux and allergies that were took some time to get evaluated and treated and um you know i i think that you know i you probably know this from your background, um, that we start to bond with our babies if we, well, I actually don't know how this works with a surrogate, um, but I know that 
if you are a birth parent that you start to bond before um, and there are already brain changes before i read this fascinating research that said that that also even like for instance foster care um, parents brain will start to change after connection um, with a baby the idea though is that our our brain is preparing us to slow down um, makes it harder to multitask even though that might be hard for a lot of us um, it's mother's nature's way so that we will focus on the baby and that this is the time to well where we could potentially have some moments of grieving uh, like for instance we didn't have the birth we wanted um or our uh, we had some trauma in the birth or our baby had a medical condition um sometimes that will set things off from the beginning where this isn't what i had hoped it would be or you might be a very calm laid back person but for whatever reason you have been given a little ball of fire <laughs> um, and uh and it's um learning i always say i always think of it for myself too it's like learning to to love and get to know who you've been given because there really are such gifts in in each of our children's personalities um the good and the bad for sure like i you know i wouldn't say my first one was a complete angel baby but now that i you know then once i had a second one who was very alert like my pediatrician said oh you got your tigger um if the first one was like winnie the pooh this one is your tigger and uh uh it was harder she was harder to parent um and it really um forced me to to look within to also use some of my intuition um and i read but i stopped after a while i stopped kind of polling everybody right um of what i should do and sort of said let me figure out who this little person is that i got and how to best respond to her and that was very wise of you because i i want i want our listeners to hear that that you stopped reading and tuned in because i think we do have that wisdom within if we just stop and listen well you know a hundred percent. I, I, I really agree. And I also know how hard, hard that is, particularly because we live in a world with a million distractions, um, that it's hard to just, sometimes we're all get used to, you always look at your phone when you have a moment, you know, you're, you don't chat with the person next to you in the post office line you're looking at everybody's looking at their phones kind of thing but i remember where i was standing when i made this decision it's not funny how that happens sometimes but i was in my office and i was reading a parenting book uh one of many now to be fair i am a family therapist so i was doing a lot of reading um but uh i remember thinking that i was looking at this one book in regards to my children and my family and i remember thinking oh my gosh i can't do anything that won't somehow uh be a bad effect on my child or damage my child or you know i mean you can really overwhelm yourself 
um, um, on online and and with books where you know people say oh no you always do this and you never do that and I thought wow so you know what I'm not ever going to be perfect and so my goal and I I say this in humor um, is to for my children to only need as few therapy sessions as possible because of my <laughs> parenting. <laughs> Notice how I never said no parenting, no therapy right, sessions. Right, right. <laughs> no, and I love that because I know that that was kind of my approach of of you know when I first became a parent is is just I'm going to do the very best I can, and no matter what I do, I will be told that I did something wrong, right? right. It's like you, <laughs> you have at some point to, to kind of, you know, let go of, of that you're going to mess up. Uh, I think that that's, I think that's part of the course. And it's, it's, you know, it's part of, of what makes us too, right? I mean, uh, you know, my mother probably messed up here and there, but I am, I am who I am because of that. So mm-hmm it's it's you know it's all good yeah and i i tell this story about when in my book that i um of course i spent a lot of time reminiscing about good and the bad of these early days because they're definitely always challenging moments too with a newborn and i remember i was at a christening and my oldest daughter was three months old and uh it was during you know that like after three o'clock and she started fussing and I and I looked at my watch and all, well so the women were saying oh it's time to to feed her you have to feed her and I looked at my watch and I got attacked by these women saying that you can't look at your watch to determine whether she needs to eat and I said no, I'm looking at my watch because I want to see what time it is. And sure enough, this is the time of day that she usually gets fussy. And um, and I know that she's well fed because I just fed her whatever ago. And but I felt so like, wow. Uh, I thought, I thought, you know, we're su- trying to support each other. And one of the other women said to me, Hey, you know what? Good for you. I noticed that about my child too. You know, would you like me to give you a break and you want me to go rock her in the other room or soothe her in the other room? Um, and I share that story with other parents because, you know, don't let anyone take away from you that you are your uh, baby's expert. You know, you are their parent who knows them the best. Not that there aren't certain great tips and advice to to learn, but in the end, you have to decide, does that feel right in my gut, that piece of advice that somebody gave me or read? Same for whatever you read in my book too, by the way. (laughs) Um, You have to say, does that match me, my partner? Does that seem to be appropriate for my baby's temperament and where they are? You know, because I had to write this book in months, but we all know that just because your baby reaches, you know, eight weeks and two days doesn't mean now they're suddenly like a three month old that's about to turn four months, right? (laughs) You know, and so I think if we can stay in that empowerment and know that, no, you won't know all the answers, but that's okay. That's part of, this is a relationship. 
Yes. You know, yeah. between, between you and your, your newborn, nobody's going to know everything about that newborn. And, and I like the, the fact that early on you shared about SOAR and that there is the observation piece in there, because I know for, for me and my, you know, my Montessori background, observation is like a, a critical tool, the, the most essential tool in observing, you know, for things for what they are, like without, without judgment, without preconceived ideas, without comparison, but just observing what your child is doing, saying, you know, reaching for whatever. And, and, you know, the, the cues that you, you were mentioning and to be just really in tune with that for, for you and, and your child, right? It's your temperament, their temperament and so forth. So, so I just, I just wanted to say, I love that piece. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And also like giving yourself some slack that it's going to take you some time to figure it out. Exactly. You know, like, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. You always knew like, Oh, that's a hunger cry in your first week of being a new parent, you know, um, it will take time. I do think it's helpful to be like, okay, they're fussing, you know, take a moment, observe. Well, how long have they been awake? When's the last time they fed? Is their diaper, you know, need to be changed? What's going on in the environment? You know, is there noise or light or something, you know, you kind of help go through a, a list of before you immediately react with the same thing. Right, right. And that not all cries are about hunger. And that that I learned very early on, because I think that that's kind of our instinct. And, and a lot of people, just like those women were telling you, you know, she must be hungry. It's like, well, no, she, maybe she's cold, maybe she's bored, maybe she's, you know, there's, there's other things going on. So yeah. So yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Well, as usual, I we could go on for forever, but I'm just um, being conscious of time. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, as we wrap up, I would love to kind of ask a more personal question, if I may. Okay. And that is, you did mention that you have two daughters and that your eldest is 28. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you were to go back you know, 29 years ago, um, when you were expecting your first child, what wise words would you have liked to hear or, or know at that time, knowing all that you know today about parenting? I think it's honestly many of the things, messaging that I've said in, in our time together today that I didn't know that I learned right in parenting. Um, I think the first one is to trust yourself. I think be kind and gentle to yourself um, and to also, if you are in a relationship in parenting, you know, make the whole family the priority, not just baby, but you, your partner, like, like us as a unit. Um, but for sure, kinder and gentler to to yourself and really to other new parents too. Beautiful. Uh, thank you for that. And are there any parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Um, just know that you're your baby's best expert and that um, if I can offer 
you know, gentle tips and resources that can help you on your, on your journey, then I would love to do that. And that, you know, it really gets better and better parenting, I think. (laughs) Yes. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for coming on The Art of Parenting and sharing your your gentle wisdom. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Have you been searching for the owner's manual to your child, or did you just misplace it? Are you tired of trying to figure out this whole parenting puzzle, not knowing what to do when it comes to tantrums, hitting or biting, sibling rivalry, potty training, proper sleep habits, or just plain wanting a better relationship with your child? You know, I've been at this for a while now and wanted to share my own parenting manual. It's called The Parenting School, and I've created it with you in mind. Give your child and yourself the gift of mindful parenting in just a few short weeks and discover all the tools you'll ever need to parent without losing your patience, giving in, or worrying that you're messing up. If you're yearning to be more patient and present with your child while finding balance in your own life, then you already know that you need effective parenting tools and ongoing support. You know you weren't meant to be raising children alone. And you probably already know that having the right parenting tools during moments of conflict is the key to staying grounded, responding with empathy, and strengthening your parent-child relationship. You've probably sensed that you'd be a more confident parent if you had a like-minded community supporting and encouraging you. Your skills have gotten you this far, but most days you still feel like you're making it up as you go. So here's what I've got for you. Reliable parenting principles that will allow you to finally set boundaries you can confidently uphold, communicate effectively with your child, declutter your home to enhance your child's independence, learning, and family harmony, and find more time to do the things you love. This is what the parenting school is all about. During this digital parenting course, you'll get weekly modules with lessons focused on key areas to get you where you want to be. These modules come packed full of video tutorials, journal prompts, actionable activities, expert interviews, and more, as well as weekly Lifeline group mentoring calls where I answer your questions personally, plus a virtual village with like-minded parents supporting each other during this deep-dive parenting intensive. I'll also include some extra special bonuses to keep you inspired and motivated along the way. So if this sounds too good to be true and you're ready to up-level your parenting skills as well as your family's well-being, head on over to The Parenting School at voilamontessori.com slash TPS dash enroll. That's TPS for The Parenting School dash enroll. To learn more about the, all the benefits of this fabulous interactive digital course I've created just for you. And by the way, I've also added the link in the show notes for you. Looking forward to supporting you and your family.
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time. <laughs>